Coming up next, we're going to talk about the coronavirus and then hear some encouragement from a local pastor named Jason Pfeffer. You're listening to The Common Good. Everybody, welcome to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Thanks for joining us today. Uh, Thursday, right? I think it's Thursday. <laughs> Who, <Today>. knows? <laughs> Who knows? Does it even really matter at this point? It doesn't. It doesn't. Uh, I think I told you this yesterday, but in case I didn't, I told my son that we're, uh, I feel like I've retired because uh, I never know what day it is and I look forward to walks during the day. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I, I feel that way. I felt that way for the last decade. Yes. <laughs> oh, you can find us on Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show on Twitter at Common Good Talk. Find our podcast wherever it is you get your podcast. Uh, subscribe, rate, and review. Uh, really grateful for those of you who are listening to the podcast. And like we've been saying, we want to update you on what's going on with this pandemic. We want to inform you, hopefully inspire, have some laughs along the way. Uh, so again, we are glad that you are joining us. How is your day today, man? Just a uh, very normal, I'm guessing, getting used to being at home. Uh, yeah, I mean, we're getting there. It's, uh, it's interesting how each day with a two and one year old is a total crapshoot. It is so bizarre how some days for lunch, they could not be more pleasant. Like they're drinking, <laughs> they're drinking tea with their pinky out and <laughs> their monocle looks great. And other lunchtimes, they're just having total meltdowns and it's, it's interesting because I'm not usually here during lunchtime. You know, I made some comment. And I'm like, wow, they're really unpredictable. And my, my wife was like, yeah, no duh. That's <laughs> welcome to my world. She's like, yep, that's fair. <laughs> so yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's never, never a dull moment over here. Never a dull moment. The, the warm weather at our house is making all the difference in the world. Like the kids had a little extra bounce in their step. Uh, I looked out the front window and all of a sudden three hammocks were in our front tree. They had put up and they were relaxing in them. And uh, Those are definitely your children. Yes. Yes. That's a good point. And so, uh, yeah, making it just fine, making it just fine. But uh, there's still lots of hard news. You know, every day uh, it's this weird dichotomy where it feels normal. And all of us, most of us, if you haven't been affected health wise yet, you're kind of going through your day in a normal way, being at home. Uh, and then you watch the news or you start scrolling the internet and you you start to see the, the bad news out there. And it's just hard. It's just really hard to hear. Uh, so a couple major headlines for around the coronavirus. Uh, one, and I was just blown away. You and I were talking off air about seeing the graph for this. But off out of NBC News, a record 6.6 million Americans filed for unemployment just last week. When I saw that number and the accompanying graph, I just couldn't believe it. Yeah, calling it a record is an understatement. Like the yes. graph kind of shows what those applications have looked like, I think for the last 60 years or something like that. Yep. And it was like a skyscraper standing next to an army of ants. Like it just, mm -hmm. the graph was so startling. And so to the, to the point where like I first saw it, I was like, wait a minute, is this a meme? Is this true? And then I did a little bit of research and it's, yep. it is frighteningly true. It's, it's terrifying. To give those numbers a little bit of context, Michelle Meyer, head of U.S. economics at Bank of America, told e, uh, NBC News that at, during the financial crisis, uh, was that 08 maybe? Yeah. During the financial crisis, we were seeing a peak of 650,000 first-time applications a week. So compare that to 6.6 .6 million 
last week. And that, that gives you an idea of just the enormity of what we're facing. Yeah. Are you, are you hearing people, whether in your church, obviously not by name, but in your church or in your friend group, are you starting to hear people either losing their jobs or afraid of losing their jobs? Uh, what are you hearing in your circles? Yeah, we, I mean, we're hearing a lot of that. Not to uh, plug the website again, but if you go to communitychristian.org slash cares, that's both where we're mobilizing our teams to care for people who find themselves in those places. But it's also, if you're listening and you find yourself in one of those places, communitychristian.org slash cares, uh, there's a different, um, there's a bunch of different categories of needs. But yeah, we're, I mean, we're hearing a number of stories of people yeah. that are exactly in that that same space. And that is, even with regards to what you're saying earlier, like, you know, we turn on the news and we hear about these other stories that are frightening. I, I hear more and more people who are being affected by this personally or with yes. close family friend like that. That seems to be happening more frequently, which we knew it would, but it, it doesn't make it any easier. No, and, and they, they still talk about the peak still to come. And so just kind of bracing for what does that look like in just doing what we can. Another headline out of CNN uh, goes back to kind of the the virus itself. Uh, and man, when I read this, I was like, this is this is crazy also. It says a prestigious scientific panel told the White House Wednesday night that research shows coronavirus can be spread not just by sneezes or coughs, but also just by talking or possibly even just breathing. So that it's it, there's some people who are now starting to guess that it is an airborne virus, which is not what we've been hearing. And so Dr. Fauci, as we all know who Dr. Fauci is by now, told CNN Tuesday that the idea of recommending broad use of masks in the U.S. to prevent mm-hmm. the spread of coronavirus is under, quote, very active discussion by the group. And it, this just highlights for me, man, that that we're still trying to get a handle on what this virus is. I know my wife, uh, we ordered masks for our whole family. We're like, OK, we're in. And uh, we touched on it yesterday. But this science that says uh, that there's kind of like an aerosolization, they call it, of the virus from normal breathing. Man, that's really scary. Yeah, I mean, it, it is uh, important, I think, to stay up to date with information like this because exactly like what you just said, there's also something out of Georgia that you talked about being sort of surprising because we're learning so much more about this virus at such a rapid rate. Um, the assumption can be like, I think I have a handle on this or I think I know what I'm talking about. And again, I think it was Acuff a couple of weeks ago. He's saying, hey, there's a fine line between being informed and being obsessed. So mm-hmm. we, you know, and I always offer that caveat. But um, what was the story out of Georgia, by the way, that you were you were saying there was like some misinformation or a, a if, lag time in knowing the correct information? If this wasn't like such dire times, this would be like the Onion, or it would be just humorous. Right. But it's not. The governor of Georgia in his press conference today, he finally put the state under the state home that we're all under for the last couple of weeks, right? Uh, and he said. Uh, he didn't, they did, they only just learned that asymptomatic people can transmit COVID-19. His direct quote was, uh, this is Governor Brian Kemp, individuals could have been infecting people before they, before they ever felt bad, but we didn't know that until the last 24 hours. And he's getting ripped for this for good reason. Yeah. uh, Because this seems like, you know, coronavirus 101, like we've all known that the issue is with asymptomatic people being carriers uh, and that you may not even see it in you for 14 days or at all. Right. Uh, and so he's backed some of this up a little bit, but that statement was just, again, like it was this, uh, this reminder of, man, we're, this, we're all learning at different speeds, but, but our government may not be that far ahead of us in some places. 
Well, and, and one of the things that we've really appreciated is we have a number of uh, friends who are in the medical community. So rather than even just, you know, having to constantly refresh our browser to catch the most up-to-date information, we're trying to be really strategic and mindful of setting aside time to ask our medically minded friends, because as many of us know, not everything you read on the internet is true. So it is helpful to sometimes hear from the mouth of someone you actually know and trust who's actually qualified to speak to these things. That's been both informative, but also provided a a healthy amount of, I think, clarity for us and our family. Like, okay, this actually should concern us. This actually is being a little sensationalized. Don't worry so much, you know? Absolutely. That's a great call because uh, there is a lot out there and uh, some of it's conflicting and you just read all this stuff. But we've liked to start our show the last couple of weeks with just kind of an update. Where are we at? Where is where's the news at? Uh, and that is what is going on with the coronavirus. Coming up next, uh, we want to tackle a subject that as pastors, uh, we start hearing from other people about. And that is this. Uh, is the coronavirus a sign of God's judgment? Coming up next here on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Thank you for joining us on this Thursday afternoon. Uh, You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. Lots of good articles up there. Lots of good conversation with people. Uh, You know, not surprisingly, we've seen a lot of people join the Facebook page uh, ever since we've all been locked at home. Uh, So go ahead and join it and continue the conversation with us there. You can find us on Twitter at Common Good Talk. Uh, find our podcast wherever it is you get your podcast and find old shows at 1160hope.com. Well, we're obviously most, if not all of our shows are kind of focused on everything going on around the coronavirus pandemic right now. And, uh, you know, from many different angles. And here's one of these angles that I think it would give us, uh, it would be profitable for us to try to help people get their arms around. So let me read to you out of Christian Headlines. Uh, Michael Faust wrote this, 44% say coronavirus is a, quote, wake-up call from God, sign of his judgment. More than four in 10 likely voters in the United States believe the coronavirus pandemic is a wake-up call from God or a sign of coming judgment, according to a new poll. The survey asked likely voters a series of questions about the pandemic and faith, including, do you see the global coronavirus pandemic and economic slowdown as signs of coming judgment or a wake-up call for us to turn back to faith in God. A total of 44% of likely voters picked one of or the other or chose both. 22% said both, 17% said wake-up call, 5% said it was a sign of coming judgment. The poll was conducted among a 1,000 likely voters Uh, through McLaughlin and Associates and the Joshua Fund. Meanwhile, 29% of likely voters agreed that the coronavirus pandemic and global economic meltdown are evidence that we are living in what the Bible calls the last days. 56 disagreed with that. Joel Rosenberg, the founder and president of the Joshua Fund, called the results stunning. He said this survey provides a fascinating window into how Americans see the COVID-19 pandemic and how it is dramatically increasing their interest in spiritual matters. Uh, And then last one, it says, the survey asked non-Christians if the global pandemic has caused them to have more interest in God in spiritual matters. Uh, Although 63% said it had not, others said uh, that it had. And so uh, a lot of numbers there, a lot to get through. 
but what, what about the headline for you there, man? 44% talking about the coronavirus pandemic in terms of uh, God trying to wake us up and in terms of a sign of his judgment and the end of the world. As a pastor, uh, I don't even want to necessarily go the article, but as a pastor, if somebody comes to you, hey, pastor, help me process this. This is what I'm thinking or what I'm hearing. What would you talk to them about? Well, I, I do want to go to the article quickly for a second, because this is part of my frustration with headlines and sometimes how statistics are used to manipulate, because the headline certainly seems to imply that 44% of people believe it's judgment from God. Yep. Uh, it's really a choice between two questions, right? right. right. A sign of coming judgment yeah. or a wake-up call from us to turn to God. Um, only 5% said it was a sign of coming judgment. So that that's makes a, you feel good. That's a much different number than this headline sort of conveys, which we could talk about that maybe another time, like how I feel about uh, <laughs> that particular kind of sensationalizing. Service, I, yeah. I have certainly had conversations with people, though, who have used similar language to coming judgment. Um, I can't imagine we're the first generation to talk seriously about something happening in the world as the obvious sign of God's judgment right. or the end times or the end of the world. I want to be sensitive to, you know, what theology or doctrine people bring to that conversation. Um, but I mean, just to be really blunt, like there's a lot in scripture that does make it clear that we're not going to know the time of the place. Like that is, yeah. you can go ahead and whoever's asking you for money um, because they predicted the end of the times um, is not worth supporting. Um, but it does also, I think, communicate a very real fear, which as a pastor, I want to be mindful of those emotions and those feelings. And so to help walk people through a little bit, uh, not only, you know, what is Revelation actually about, but what do we do? I do think, and we talked about this a little bit yesterday, to be honest, that something like this will most certainly, to some degree, uh, drive people to an interest in or a willingness to turn to God, to pray, to you know, consider a church community. I think God can use any of this for good and desires to redeem and restore all things. But this idea though, that God sent this virus in order that we would turn to him. Uh, to me, I have all sorts of theological problems with not yeah. the least of which was, you know, or would be that if, if, uh, if we depict God as a loving father, you know, which is a pretty common, it's a pretty common attribute. Um, you know, the passage in the Gospels that talks about what loving father gives his boy a stone when he asks for bread. Right. Maybe like God's going to, you know, his interest is wiping out of a whole bunch of people so that those who aren't wiped out would be spooked enough to turn to him. Uh, to me, he feels a, a little problematic for a couple of maybe hopefully obvious reasons. But pastorally, though, I think it is always important, though, to to enter into the very real fear and concern that our people have and help walk with them. Uh, in in the midst of uncertainty, and that's that's very real, and uh, I want to be sensitive to that. Yeah, and so let me continue with the pastoral element of this. So then you're having that conversation with somebody, and somebody says, "Well, so then where is God? If God didn't send this to shake us up, uh, then then is God surprised by this? Where is God in all that we're seeing right now? How would you answer that question? Yeah, I, I mean, I think the uh, the NT Wright article we read a couple of days ago about yeah. lament about um, we don't worship some stoic, distant God. We also don't worship those some like weak, powerless God. The the God of lament, the God of you know, particularly in the season of Lent, is a God who stands at the tomb of Lazarus, knowing what he was going to do, and yet still weeps with those who were brokenhearted at their loss. So, like, 
it is, and I think to use N.T. Wright's word, he talks about a mystery a lot. Uh, we talk a good deal on the show about the dark night of the soul, how many, many juggernauts of our faith throughout the course of history have communicated and written and taught on, you know, this deep vacancy that they have felt at times or this deep sadness or this deep sorrow. But we know that, you know, the psalmist writes, I think it's Psalm 34, that God is, God is near the brokenhearted and he heals yeah. them through a crushing spirit. But we also read elsewhere, he's a God who sets up camp among people of suffering, that he weeps when we weep, that he is brokenhearted and that um, part of how he heals the world is through you and I, through the hands and feet of Christ. And I think that should elevate then what our role is going forward, not just self-preservation, but how, how can I be the embodiment of love? How can I live a resurrected life in the midst of fear and panic and uncertainty? And I think holding those intention is really, really important. That's really well put. I, I, I just always get skittish and I always try to talk people off of this hyper focus on the end of the world. Yeah. Right. Uh, like that, that this is just go about like living as we've been called to live here in uh, being, like you said, the hands and feet of Jesus and showing that love, loving your neighbor and, uh, and, and being the embodiment of, of who doing what we know we're supposed to be doing right now. Uh, we can really get sidetracked. All those books that get written by like, is this the end? Is this judgment? You know, uh, this is a broken world and God continues to work in uh, work uh, in us and through us in this brokenness. Uh, and there is coming a day where we'll, there will be no more pandemics, but we're not in that day yet. And so right. we continue to have faith and continue to draw near to him, but continue to love other people. Yeah. And, uh, and I think when we start trying to get obsessed with like, is this the end times? I'm using air quotes there. I'm just not sure it does us any good. Yeah, I think probably it is worth to a lot of people will kind of cherry pick passages and revelations without really having a, a like a robust understanding of what the book of Revelation actually is. And if anyone wants recommendations or Bible studies, there, there's a lot of really good resources out there for better wrapping our heads around what has been stereotypically sort of depicted as end times. And I think having a good what we call eschatology yes. is, uh, is really important, especially in times like these where everyone's thinking about it. That's right. Well, uh, you can find that article at our Facebook page, but it's something a lot of us in the church are thinking about. And uh, we would love to hear your feedback. Coming up next, uh, a pastor by the name of Jason Pfeffer is going to give us some encouragement in this time of unease and fear. That's coming up next here at The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Ian Simpkins. My name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you joining us today on this Thursday afternoon. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. You can find us on Twitter at Common Good Talk. Uh, Find our podcast wherever it is you get your podcast. And uh, you can find old shows online at 1160hope.com. Well, in these uncertain times, uh, one thing that Ian and I have been doing, and I've really been enjoying this, is having other uh, local pastors, local ministry leaders, people that we respect, yeah. uh, kind of lend a voice into the show and try to just provide encouragement uh, that we all need in these uneasy times. And so with that in mind, we're going to hear here in a second from Jason Pfeffer. Uh, Jason leads the practice up at Willow and uh, has some great things to say. So let's go ahead and listen to Jason and then we'll react to it. I've been thinking a lot in these last few weeks about disruption. I wonder why. 
For most of us, this season is marked by a complete and total disruption of our normal rhythms. We're trying to understand what we're allowed to do, what is safe, how can we stay connected to the important people in our lives and maintain our distance. Some of us are grieving losses, the loss of jobs and security. We're in pain because of our loneliness and the sickness or maybe even the loss of those with whom we are close. From every angle, we are confronted by disruption and a loss of security. There are also a lot of people talking about making the most of this time. They're going to get in shape, read 73 books, organize their entire home, and finally write that novel. But I'm just hoping to help my kids do their schoolwork and get the dishwasher going so we have clean silverware for dinner and not forget about a meeting that I have scheduled. I want to talk for a moment about making the most of this time, but I'm not going to suggest a new workout or some organizational technique. What if this season of disruption is a gift from God? What if we come out of this season with a greater lived experience in the presence of God? What if we carry a deeper experience of God's love with us out of this time, or a greater trust, or more profound peace, or we walk out of it more fully surrendered to the Lord? You see, I believe that times of disruption are some of the most fertile soil for growth in Christlikeness. Discomfort and the loss of security breaks up the soil in which we're planted. Farmers will till or plow a field to help plants grow. Turning the soil adds nutrients and oxygen so that crops will bear fruit. A season like this, it offers us the gift of breaking up the fallow ground in our lives and opening us to God's presence and formation in a way that just doesn't seem to be possible when everything is running smoothly. I suppose when we're comfortable and in control, it's easy to do life on our own. We don't need God. But when it all crumbles and the illusion of control is shattered, we find ourselves grasping more desperately for God. Maybe that's why Dallas Willard once said, God's address is the end of your rope. Over and over in my life, it has been times of struggle and discomfort, times when my sense of control and security is disrupted, that I have found myself more open to God's loving presence and the Lord's work in my life. And so I wonder if I could ask you two questions to consider in this season. First, how can you open yourself to God's presence in this time of disruption? Is there some intentional way that you might notice God is with you in the midst of the chaos and discomfort? It may be that there is some distracting activity that you feel the need to do less of or maybe even stop altogether during this time. Or maybe there's a particular practice of prayer that you feel God is inviting you to take up. How might you open yourself to the loving presence and voice of God these days? And when you've considered this question, might I suggest another? This particular disruption is unique because of how universal it is. But if we're honest, life is full of disruptions, large and small. And as much as we would like to think that the spiritual life is all puppies and giggles, in John 16.33, Jesus said, In this world you will have trouble. 
but take heart. I have overcome the world. So I wonder, I wonder if we might consider how this season of disruption will shape us for the next. How are you being formed as you lean into God today that will help you to be present with God in your next trial? As I finish, I wonder if I could offer a prayer for you. In this season, may you know the love of the Father who calls you his child and delights in you. May you be present with Jesus, the man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And may the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, bring you peace. Amen. All right, Ian, Jason, uh, I believe a friend of yours. Uh, what did you hear there? What what stood out to you from Jason? What he had to share with us? I mean, I just think he's so wise. If you're not familiar, by the way, the practice uh, meets at the chapel at Willow. Uh, it was started by my friend Aaron Nequist a few years ago. Um, Jenna Perrine, who's also been on the show before, she was integral at the the genesis of that. And it's a it's an in the round. Uh, liturgical expression. It's a, it's a practice-based faith that I think is, uh, is really, really beautiful. If you've never gone, if you've never been able to be a part of something like that, uh, highly recommend. You can, in fact, you can go to uh, practicetribe.com. That's practicetribe.com. Another recommendation, when you go to that website, click on uh, daily office. So this is kind of in the same vein of what Chris Lash is doing with the uh, guided prayer project. And there's uh, morning, midday, and evening prayers. It's sort of this It'll walk you through it. It's really, really, if you're looking for something to kind of help structure your days a little bit, that's a great place to go. Um, Hmm. And Jason is just the perfect guy to be at the helm of this. And I love what he was talking about this like season of disruption and seeing that as a, as a possible opportunity to really kind of reframe some of our rhythms. And, you know, like Chris was saying yesterday, what, what if it's an opportunity, not just for us, you know, as, as Christians to like reach out to, you know, we were talking earlier about people are more receptive to God when that's great, but also it might be a great opportunity for us to reevaluate even maybe some of the idols that our own hearts have been collecting, like maybe taking this disruption, this interruption, you know, we talked months ago about the notion that like, something like 45% of all Jesus's miracles happened as an act of an interruption. He was going somewhere else and someone mm. called out his name or grabbed this cloak. Like we're in the midst of an interruption. And I think there's just a lot of wisdom that he's offering there about like, what do we do in the midst of a disruption rather than just simply surviving? What if God wants us to hear something else? I thought that was, that was really brilliant. Yeah. And I love, and we've been seeing what I've enjoyed over these last couple of weeks is seeing these common threads that people are kind of having in them, but acknowledging the grief of all of this and dealing with that, you know, uh, you know, instead of just being like, oh, it's fine, no big deal. But I think acknowledging that there's loss in this and that that acknowledgement, I think, then you can deal with it and then you can start asking some of these deeper questions. So it feels like more and more of the people we're having on are talking about uh, just the struggle of this and, and acknowledging it. I think of Grant Stenzel the other day who yeah, we had on uh, and other people. And then, uh, you know, Jason here talks about being more open to God's loving presence. How can you open yourself up to God's presence at this time? Uh, I think that's a great way to end this. Like how can, that's a great question. We should all be asking ourselves, how can we open ourselves to God's presence more in this time of disruption? So thank you to Jason for doing that. Uh, We really uh, appreciate that. And go to practicetribe.com. As Ian said, go to practicetribe.com and find out more about their ministry.
Uh, well, coming up next, an article from the Gospel Coalition that begins to ask this question, uh, can we predict what the COVID-19 aftermath will be? That's what's coming up from the Gospel Coalition next year on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Really excited to have you join us today on this Thursday afternoon. Uh, you could continue the conversation if you're home. We're all home, so as you're perusing Facebook, hop on over to The Common Good Radio Show and uh, find some more articles there. You can continue the conversation. Find us on Twitter, uh, at Common Good Talk. You can also find us online at 1160hope.com and a podcast, wherever it is you get your podcast. Uh, subscribe, rate, and review. Uh, well, over at the Gospel Coalition, Colin Hansen wrote an article called Five Predictions for the COVID-19 Aftermath. We're going to discuss that interesting article, but first, Ian's going to tell us a little bit about Thrivent. Yes, 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 yes. So Thrivent Financial, <laughs> Fortune 500 not-for-profit. They've been around for over 100 years, which tells you something. I've been a Thrivent member for a better part of a decade. Wonderful, wonderful organization with a great mission, great people. That's all like actually really true, but uh, maybe you're looking for a career change. We talked earlier in the show about how many people are unemployed right now. Uh, this might be a really great opportunity to course correct a little bit. You can learn more at thrivent.com slash careers, or you can call 630-598-2128. I mean, what's the harm? Just give no them a call, harm. visit the website, just see if it might not actually be a really great fit for you because uh, their mission and their focus is so spot on, and uh, I've been super grateful for them, and they might be a really good fit for you. At the very least, you make the phone call, you get to talk to another human being while That's we're all That's right. I should start pitching home. it like that. I, like, are you feeling isolated? <laughs> I'll thrive at this, 630-598-2128. There's probably telemarketers all across just like having long conversations with people right now. Telemarketers are our new therapists right now. Exactly. <laughs> what the Gospel Coalition, uh, Colin Hansen, and he admits it might be early uh, for this type of article, because as he says, we don't even know if the quarantine will lift in June 2020 or June 2021. I read that. I was like, oh, my gosh. Yeah, geez. Uh, but he asks the question. He said, uh, a friend recently asked me how I expect life and ministry to change in the aftermath of COVID-19. And I'm sure many of you wonder the same thing. He says, I claim no prophetic gifting. I just read and speak with experts much smarter than I am. And based on those interactions, I generated five tentative. So he wants to make sure to say they're tentative uh, predictions phrased in seemingly contradictory pairs. So what will things possibly look like uh, when things again, uh, air quotes, go back to normal? Uh, he gives a list of five. So why don't you uh, tackle number one? Uh, first off, just to say it, I don't think things will go back to normal. I agree. It's going to be a new normal. Uh, It'll be a new normal. Yeah. um, An even more dramatic way than it was after 9-11. It'll be, remember how things changed uh, in some ways after that, but this I think will be even more so because of it, it affected, it affects all of us and it's so much long lasting that it's just going to have, yeah, normal is going to be different from here on out. Well, and and 9-11 was a moment. This is a Exactly. I mean, 9-11 was horrific and i'm not downplaying that at all but they, they are apples Different. and oranges for sure so he yeah. yeah again tentatively he says i expect it to change in these five ways these five ways are pretty interesting we'd love to know what you think uh, number one he says we'll lose trust even as we gain solidarity never before has a single issue so quickly leveled the differences between nations states and classes no one is immune literally the most famous actors and the most powerful politicians can come down with COVID 19 just like you and i can 
I saw the exact moment when Americans freaked out together about COVID-19. It was the evening of March 11th. My wife and I were hosting leaders of small groups in our church. That morning, I encouraged my wife to buy food and other supplies because the coronavirus was about to hit. After the meeting, I headed to my home office to catch any news I missed. In just 90 minutes, the NBA had suspended its season. President Trump had delivered a televised national address, and Tom Hanks and Rita Wilson announced that they had contracted COVID-19. Immediately, leadership at TGC.org doubled. Suddenly, millions sensed simultaneously the gravity of the situation. We had to take matters into our own hands. For some reason, toilet paper became quickly scarce. That's what happens (laughs) when governments, media, and public health agencies around the world have lied or at least botched their initial response. They saw the briefings and still didn't prepare us. We couldn't trust them. And since we couldn't trust our leaders, we sought to look out for ourselves. Nearly three weeks later, in the richest nation in human history, we still can't get reliable, timely testing. No one can be safe from urban New York City to rural South Dakota. We're all in this together separately because we endanger each other through mere presence, even if we don't feel sick. That's Mm. pretty sober. He ends it by saying, going forward, the richest and the poorest alike will look with jaundiced eyes at authorities, at least those responsible for the initial response. New, mm. more trustworthy authorities will emerge, but not until the rich and famous na- uh, ration their toilet paper. <laughs> Man. Number two, we'll depend on, on the virtual as we love the local. Many of the rich have grown richer during the spread of COVID-19. The vaunted supply chain of Amazon has become a lifeline. Millions have learned to Zoom. Uh, Facebook Live rose from the dead. Google delivers our news and YouTube our entertainment. Meanwhile, this economic depression will finish off many struggling Main Street retailers and with them remaining lifelines of tax and advertising revenues for local governments and media. Hmm. Small business with insufficient scale and margins, especially restaurants, will disappear. And yet these small businesses capture our primary affections. Uh, We can live without Red Robin. Mm, Careful there. Uh, But we'll rally to save our local bakery. The Mm. situation for churches will run somewhat parallel. Bigger churches will hurt, especially with restrictions on large gatherings for the foreseeable future. When will visitors feel safe bringing their children into unfamiliar environments? But big churches can scale down their programming and staffing as long as necessary. Small churches may not be so lucky. Many will close due to the broken rhythms of church life, especially those, especially since they couldn't keep up with virtual options during the shutdown. So uh, we'll do more virtual, but we'll be drawn to the local. I think that's a pretty powerful one. Yeah, we're going to run out of time here. But number three, he says, we'll gain global perspective with national protections from India to Indiana. COVID-19 doesn't discriminate. We don't care if the vaccine comes from South Africa or South America. We're joined in this fight together. Chinese leaders had operated with a global perspective from the beginning. They could have prevented a world of suffering. Now we're in an unimaginable scenario where the borders between New England states are closed. And he goes on. I'll just kind of scroll to the end. He says, we remember how 9-11 changed airport security. Our new normal will include masks and temperature checks. As we see now in Asian megacities, everyone's in the same kind of boat on their own side of the water, will grow more sympathetic and aware of global trends and neighbors, even as we worry more about protecting our local ones. I think that's, mm, that's a good number. Uh, number four, we'll see spiritual hunger with naturalistic uh, hopes. Every crisis produces heroes. We can already see them in the medical researchers and caregivers. COVID-19 has reminded us there's no vulnerability like health. And the collective response will invest our faith in planning, preparation, supply, and treatment So this can never happen again. Yet we will uh, never lose this sense of exposure. 
will never quite shake the trauma of uncertainty or settle into safety. Not even a vaccine will make that feeling come back completely. Hmm. So we're left with many spiritual and practical questions. What happens when I die? Why am I so anxious and afraid? Who will take care of me? There's a lot more to that one, but that one's powerful. This last one's kind of sobering. Number five, we'll draw closer to families with fewer members. Some debate erupted earlier this year about whether we're over, uh, we've overvalued the nuclear family. That argument seems quaint now. The nuclear family is an essential defense and refuge. These are the only people you, can, uh, you trust to infect you. COVID-19 may drive many singles toward the protection and camaraderie of marriage, and it may change many life patterns as young adults forced by closed schools and lost jobs to live at home fear to venture far away again. And he ends by saying this, whether any of uh, any or all of these predictions come true, we know that God has his own agenda, which we can only know in part. Whatever he's doing is to will and work for his good pleasure. If God can work good from the cross of Jesus, he can work good from COVID-19. Only God can make known to us the path of life. Only in his presence do we find fullness of joy. At his right hand are pleasures forevermore. Whatever our God ordains is right. Someday, thanks to Jesus, we'll understand how. So a great article out of there, Colin Hansen, The Gospel Coalition. You can find it on our Facebook page at The Common Good Radio Show. Well, coming up next, a little update to uh, the story we did yesterday about Samaritan's Purse, and then a tweet I'd like to read to you uh, that I found very interesting. All that's coming up next here on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Hey, everyone, it's Ian Simpkin here, and I remember the first time that I actually learned about Thriving Financial. I was pastoring a church in Bartlett, and me and two other pastors had this dream, this idea to better care for the marriages in our communities. And so we started to dream up this conference idea. What if we actually hosted a local conference to pour into marriages and couples in our churches, in our neighborhoods, in our communities, and Thriving Financial kind of came alongside and not only like made the conference possible— but they were actually interested in partnering with us as churches, as pastors, to help people not only be wise with money, but to live more generously, which was always a value that I had and always struggled to find organizations that actually wanted to help our churches do that. And so that's actually kind of the beginning of what's been a really beautiful journey and relationship with Thrive and to actually be wise with money, to live generously, and to help other people do the same. And so if that interests you, I'd encourage you to go to Thrivent.com to learn more. Coming up this hour, a little update on Samaritan's Purse and their work in New York. And then we're going to talk to a pastor by the name of Aaron Loy. That's coming up here on The Common Good. everybody, welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Thanks for joining us here on this Thursday evening. Uh, You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. Uh, find us on Twitter at Common Good Talk, online at 1160hope.com. Find our podcast wherever it is you get your podcast. Subscribe, rate, and review. Uh, before we jump into what we're going to talk about, I do want to talk about something exciting that is happening here at the radio station. Because during the coronavirus pandemic, we know that so many businesses have had to close their doors or reduce their hours. And we also know that there are still many businesses that are open and serving the public as best they can. So if you own or run a business that's open and operating, we want to help you get the word out. So right now, go to 1160hope.com slash open for business. That's all one word, 1160hope.com slash open for business. Fill out the brief form 
and we'll be compiling all of that information and sharing it with our, our listeners. And here's the best part. It's totally free. No catch. So go to 1160hope.com slash open for business. Well, that was the longest ending to that sentence. Open. I wanted to make sure everybody got it. Just open for business. Business. <laughs> business. <laughs> that's like uh, that's like your signature. That's like the pause between uh, it's dr- it's com. It's dot dramatic. com. It's eleven sixty dot com. Yes. I, it's just we we'd like to build drama. That's the move. That's good. Yes, it's very very um, dramatic for sure. I'm being joined today by Ian. Simpkins. Simpkins. <laughs> People are just going to keep thinking that there's signals going out. That's true. <laughs> well, yesterday uh, we talked about a story about Franklin Graham and Samaritan's Purse and uh, the mobile hospital that they set up in Central Park. Wanted to give a little bit of an update. Uh, I would encourage you uh, to Google an article that Jonathan Merritt wrote today, I believe on the Daily Beast. Uh, about this and probably anger some of you or encourage some of you. So I'd encourage you to do that. But one little update, Franklin Graham on his Central Park Field Hospital said, we don't discriminate, uh, period, says it was a culture clash waiting to happen. And so uh, the point of this is, you might remember the story, Bill de Blasio said he's very alarmed or extremely troubled about Graham's organization. And uh, but but it was kind of this debate, but the greater good of what they're doing. And I think what Samaritan's Purse has clarified is they will serve, obviously, anybody. They're there to help people. Uh, But it it does appear that they do uh, have certain guidelines for who can serve in their mobile hospital there, uh, that they need to really uh, sign a statement of faith. And so does that clarification help you at all, or is it still kind of in the same spot we talked about yesterday? Yeah, still kind of in the same spot. I think, um, again, we mentioned, you're, so Brian's a pastor. You hire people that work at the church with you. That's perfectly reasonable to me in normal circumstances or any circumstance to work at a church. Hey, this is, uh, we do need to know that you're a Jesus person, that you're, right. that you're a Christ follower. That is important. In a time like this, it still is uh, a a little bit troubling to me to require someone to sign a statement of faith before administering necessary medical care in the midst of a pandemic. Like before serving as a doctor. In in any other context, you know, that's Samaritan's person. It's an an outright Christian organization. That's totally fine. Do do what you need to do. but for something like this in an emergency situation, I don't know. It feels like, can we maybe hit pause on yeah. some of those uh, restrictions, I guess, or requirements so that the most amount of people can get the care that they need? I, to me, maybe maybe I'm missing a big piece here that you know would help clarify, but that's, that's sort of where I feel. Yeah, so he said, uh, just to clarify, and then we'll move on. He said, we hire men and women who believe in Jesus. We don't force our beliefs on anyone. We don't use our faith to try to force someone to believe the way we believe. Jesus never did that. He healed people willingly and freely. And so he's making it clear they are going to help everybody that's brought there. Uh, there's no statement of faith, obviously, for people to get care, but there right. is for people to provide care. So just a little update that might help some of you, that might frustrate some of you, but in in uh in the spirit of fairness, wanted to make sure we got all that information out there. Yeah, that's fair. So I was perusing Twitter as I do, especially now being in my house. And I came across this tweet from one at Ian Simpkins. Mm, I know him. 
let me read it. And I found it. Uh, I, I want to know uh, just what was behind it. All right. Here we go. <laughs> sure. Sure. Uh, in the, you wrote, you wrote in the same way. We often give the excuse when things slow down or when I have more free time to put off doing something we know we should. Let's not wait, quote, until things go back to normal to do things uh, we know we should. So uh, I agree wholeheartedly with that. But where did that come from? Usually tweets don't come out of a vacuum. So what were you seeing? <laughs> what were you responding to there? Well, we mentioned a little bit last segment too how this idea of when things get back to normal, I think we're going to have to come to terms and coming to terms with stuff takes time. There's going to be, I think, a, a legitimate grieving of the normal as we used to know it. And I think I would use the word grief. We actually talked about an article last week uh, that was kind of sharing that same sentiment. But this idea that we're sort of just hunkering down, surviving until things get back to normal, to me, I think is flawed for a couple of reasons. One, um, I don't think the normal that we're waiting for will ever actually come in the same way that we'll say, oh, I'm going to pick up guitar when I have more free time. I'm going to learn Spanish Mm -hmm after this crazy week, like if you're like me, you can make that excuse for 40 years and then you blink and you've missed it. You know, you're like, Oh, yeah. I, I didn't just magically find myself with more free time in the same way though. I think it, it will be easy for us to see this season as sort of this waiting room season. That's and right. it will feel like it because we're at home. Most of us, you know, where, like you were saying, even a couple of days ago, the adrenaline starting to wear off a little bit. So at first it was sort of this, oh man, innovation and course correction. And that's all kind of a little bit intriguing, but the general sense though, that like, ah, this is, this is no man's land right now. And loving my neighbor or prioritizing my spouse or loving my kids or being serious about prayer or being in the word or <laughs> fitness or dot like, we're, this is like vacation mode right now. And it most certainly is not. I don't mean any way to imply that like right. it's fun, but it can be a similar mentality. Like, all right, we're just sort of in a nebulous space. Now I would say, give yourself some grace as we learn these new rhythms and yeah. what this new normal will look like. But my concern is that we'll just, we'll just hit pause entirely for much too long, holding out for some new normal uh, that won't ever actually arrive Hmm. And we'll have realized that we've now accidentally adopted patterns and habits that we never intended to be in because we weren't intentional in this season that we're in right now. And that's yeah. hard to do because we need hope and we need to look to, well, eventually we'll pull out of this. And I, and I know that we will, but it is still going to look very different. Absolutely. And I, I think what I, when I read your thing, it, it was a good reminder to me of like our, again, I use air quotes, our normal has been paused and it will be different, but, but it feels like our lives uh, or our normal routines have been paused and a lot of activities have been paused that it can be really easy to fall into my whole life has been paused. And so my relationships or my job or my, uh, you know, building into my kids' lives, or like you said, exercise, anything, Bible reading, it could be anything that if, that this doesn't need to be a season where everything in our life is paused. There might be some things that have to wait until we're able to meet face to face with somebody or be back in our kind of routines and rhythms of work or whatever. Um, but I, I appreciated what you wrote because I do feel that danger right now of just pausing everything in my life and like, okay, well, we're just going to hang out until this is over. Right. Uh, and, and I don't think that's the call right now, just because you're home to pause everything in your life. 
Well, and that's not to say that the solution is to get after it, start hustling and grinding. I also right. think you can overcorrect. And I've seen this from some friends where the, the moment this was news, it became this opportunity to capitalize. I don't think that's good either. I think we do need to really assume a posture of like listening of rhythms of prayer and silence. And, and, you know, we mentioned earlier, you know, Jason Pfeffer and some of the stuff that I think the practice is offering and Chris Lash and some of the stuff they're offering just wasting this time doesn't simply mean um, being slow and capitalizing. It doesn't simply mean being fast. It is both, action and reflection, right? It's asking God, what is mine to do, but also being intentional about carving out time to step back, listen to your own heart, listen to what the spirit of God is telling you. And I think the word I would probably keep coming back to is intentional. Just keep being intentional, whatever that looks like in your context with this season right now. Absolutely. So a great tweet. Uh, We'd encourage you to interact with it at our Facebook page. Coming up next, uh, a pastor out of Knoxville, Tennessee, by the name of Aaron Loy. He's going to come join us and Give us another voice to continue processing all that we're going through. That's coming up next year on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Really glad to have you joining us today. Uh, In all of these crazy, uncertain times that we're in the midst of, uh, as we've been saying, Ian and I have been wanting to bring in other voices uh, to talk about and help process all that's going on. And so with that in mind, we're excited to be joined by Aaron Loy. Aaron is the founder and pastor, was the founder and pastor of Mosaic Lincoln in Lincoln, Nebraska for most of the last 10 years, co-founder of the Creo Collective, which is a church planting and missional disciple-making network, and currently in the process of founding Commonwealth in Knoxville, Tennessee. Aaron, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Uh, just curious, just wanted to check in personally. How are you doing right now with everything going on in our world? And also curious how it's different in kind of the Knoxville, Tennessee area than maybe what we're dealing with up here in Chicago. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we are, we are doing well. Um, we got hit right before kind of the weeks leading up to this lockdown. Uh, we had both strands of flu run through our home. So we feel like we've been on quarantine for wow. a month. Wow. Man, um, but we're doing well, so we're healthy and very thankful for that. Um, yeah, things in Knoxville, I, I, there's definitely some similarities. I'm sure that you guys are experiencing uh, just the the disorientation. Yeah, <laughs> um, trying to figure out like how we make our way in this new reality, and we've got three small, you know, young kids at home, and mm-hmm. trying not to run over one another. <laughs> <laughs> um. But yeah, you know, it's, it's, a, it's definitely a scary time for a, a lot of the small businesses, I think, are probably feeling it um, the most. And, and feeling it, families are feeling it on a personal level here. But uh, honestly, for many, I don't think uh, it really has rung as like a serious threat yet. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw this morning an article in our state is scoring a D minus right now. <laughs> wow. Oh no. In response. Wow. And so, and you know, that's just part of like Tennessee culture. Um, I think we're the only state that's tried to secede from the union, not once, but twice. <laughs> wow. Wow. So we know better, you know, than everybody. <laughs> yeah. Um, which, which actually makes it uh, a little scary. Uh, Cause we're definitely postured for like, if there's going to be a second wave 
uh, or a place that all of a sudden could become a hotspot. I mean, we're, we're positioned for it right now. Mm. Man, man, oh man. Well, you, you wrote an article that uh, we posted on our Facebook page. It's over at commonpastor.org. That's commonpastor.org. I like the title already, obviously. Um, <laughs> but the article is entitled 10 Ways We Can Love Our Neighbors During COVID-19. And it was a little over a week ago, which feels like an eternity ago, but I can't encourage you all enough to go and read it because it's got a ton of really great practical suggestions. But Aaron, what I want to ask you about is when all this is said and done, how do you think COVID-19 is going to impact the American church going forward? Ooh, that's a big question. Um, <laughs> you know, we're, we're certainly feeling it here um, already. Uh, we've been trying, you know, with Commonwealth, we're more of a, a network of missional communities um, and so we've been trying, you know, to help our people think about, you know, if culture continues to move towards and into post-Christendom, you know, how do we need to adjust and what does it look like to live sent? Um, but we're partnered with, you know, a, a very big uh, traditional church and, you know, already in response to this, I think last week they had to cut out like 1.5 million out of their budget last week. Mm. Um, and the cuts are kind of laid out in tiers, depending on how this thing progresses. Wow. You know, and so I, I think it is going to have a, a really big impact on, on the church as we know it. Um, you know, we're, we're going to be isolated from one another and living out a completely different set of rhythms and habits Yeah, long enough to set into new rhythms and habits, you know? Yeah, right. Um, and, you know, I, my, my thought in all this is I think for those who might still fall in that kind of cultural Christianity kind of one foot in one foot out or yeah. mm. um, a faith that's really more about what I get out of this. I think we could potentially lose many of them. Um, I, I think there'd wow. be a number of them that don't find their way back. Wow. Um, but that said, I also think as we've seen in human history, that the real thing, you know, for those who, who enter in and for those who their faith is real and alive, um, I think the church that we see emerge on the other side of it uh, is going to be something beautiful. Um, mm. I think there's going to be a, a resetting and uh, almost like a, if you will, almost like a holy fire that the season produces, you know, and what comes out the other side is something that's refined and, and beautiful and doubles down. But that's, I'm, I'm not a fortune teller, but that's, <laughs> <laughs> that's my guess. Yeah. 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 I love that idea. You know, like you guys up here in Chicago, we are all stuck in our homes. Uh, so almost the idea of like loving your neighbors, it's that almost feels like it's been put on pause, even though we know it hasn't like, well, what can I do? Could you maybe give some real practical ideas for people who might be listening of ways they could love their neighbor, even in this age of social distancing and, and not being able to physically be around people? Sure, sure thing. Um, what did, by the way, are you guys on total lockdown there? I guess I don't even know. Yeah. We're in a, like a stay at home stay order. At home. So you can yeah. still go to the grocery store and essential businesses are still working, but schools are shut. We're all basically told to stay home. Okay. Yeah. You know, so our, our circumstances are a little bit different down here. Um, uh, you know, we're not on lockdown. Um, we just got orders. Uh, you know, they're recommending that you stay home. Um, mm. But yeah, you know, what we've seen, I don't know if this has been your experience, but we're finding that uh, because people are home, there've just been so many opportunities for people to slow down and to see the people around them and, and to connect. Mm -hmm. 
you know, we, we as a family, um, we try to make a point and part of this, I think is just, we feel that already that sense of isolation and loneliness. And so we've really tried to make a point of being as visible and present mm-hmm. to our neighbors as we can. Mm-hmm. You know, so we, Oh, we took our fire pit, you know, out of the backyard and we put it on the front driveway, you know, yeah, yeah. we're trying to do, we're trying to do fire pit um, almost every other night just to be visible. And I mean, we took our grill from the backyard and put it on the front driveway. Hmm. Uh, I just spoke with uh, another local pastor. They actually, they, they do a lot of community gardens and they built a garden in their front yard. Um, you know, just like as a, as a beautiful kingdom work, but also like letting people know, you know, as we're, we're sitting, we're looking out the windows and longing to be with each other and wondering how long this is going to last. Uh, letting them know, like we're here, we're present, we're available. And, you know, we've found for us uh, so many neighbors, past neighbors have, have seen us and stopped to buy. Um, we've met some of our other neighbors. One of my favorite lines in this season uh, <laughs> for those neighbors I hadn't met, uh, I'll just chase them down and say, Hey, I'm so embarrassed. We don't know each other. <laughs> That's, <laughs> That's on me, you know, but yeah, I'm right. Uh, and those have turned into some beautiful uh, conversations. And um, one of the things that we, that's come out of that is uh, we're hosting a, a virtual happy hour with some of our neighbors. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, that group is growing, you know, just a space to be like, Hey, how you doing? You know, like, yeah. What are you learning? What's bringing you life? What feels like death right now? Right. And it's amazing how open people are, you know, like offering to pray for somebody. Like uh-huh. it really means something to people right now. You know, there's yeah. a hunger and an openness and just so much great opportunity for the gospel and kingdom to go forward. Man, that's so good, man. Yeah. See, this is this is why I so appreciate you. <laughs> so much wisdom. We, we only got like a minute left, but I'd love for you to weigh in on this idea. Um, you wrote in your talking points, the significance of believing the best in one another. Something that Brian and I talk a lot about is how media and politics sort of demonizes us against each other. What does believing the best in one another look like in the coming days and weeks? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it, it's so important. Um, you know, we're, you guys are further along in this thing than we are. Um, and I think we can learn a lot by watching how it's, you know, progressed and evolved and spread in some of the bigger Metro areas. Um, but right now, um, I think it's, it's, it's manageable, you know, it's, and that's not to minimize the loss that some people are feeling and legit sickness and, you know, businesses that won't recover from this. Like that's all very, very legitimate, you know, but, but if this thing continues to spread and evolve, um, as some predict it, it can and will, uh, you know, it's going to get scarier. Um, you know, it's not going to be COVID-19 and, and anonymous people. It's going to be faces and stories yeah. that we know and love. And in all that, you know, we found in ourselves as we were watching the news ticker and, you know, my, my wife works in a medical office and we have a son with severe asthma, mm. very real for us. Um, our flesh wanting to cave in on itself, you know, like, to start worrying completely about self-preservation and how do we protect those under our roof? And those are important, but the way of Jesus, right? It always has to move us outward um, in self-sacrificial love. And so I think it's so important for us, you know, as we, 
as we watch this thing progress that rather than settling the fear or just, you know, stirring the wagons and worrying solely on ourselves, like to know that the person next door and the person down the street and across the city, like they're doing the same thing. Mm -hmm. They're seeing the same things. They're hearing the same things. Uh, They're, they're fighting a a battle just like we are. And so I think for us, it's, it's coming back to that, that, fundamental foundational truth, right? That that is a person created in the image of God mm-hmm. and that is in them, you know, and part of my privilege is to see that and to affirm that, you know, as a fellow. Mm-hmm. Aaron, I, I'm really grateful for you coming on. I needed to hear that stuff that you just talked about. So I'm really Amen. grateful for you coming on. You've been listening to Aaron Loy and uh, Aaron, have uh, stay safe down there in Knoxville. Thank you for joining us today, bud. Hey, thanks guys. Absolutely. You're listening to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Because I saw Tiger, now I understand. I saw Tiger. Yes, everybody, welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you joining us on this Thursday. Grateful for Aaron Lloyd for joining us in that last segment. So helpful. Uh, Gave me a lot to think about. If you missed it, go to our podcast. Uh, and you can hear it, get our podcast wherever it is. You can get podcasts, go to Facebook, uh, the common good radio show. And, uh, yeah, before we jump into, we're going to jump into what is something that has been a cultural phenomenon. But before we do that, Ian's going to tell us a little bit about thriving. Thriving also a cultural phenomenon. That's right. That's They've been right. around for over a hundred years or a fortune 500 not-for-profit. And, uh, I've unashamedly been a thriving member for the better part of a decade. Love thriving, love what they do. If you just peruse their website and learn about action teams, I guarantee that will at the very least spike your interest because uh, the way that they're giving back to the community is endless and profound. But some of you maybe are looking for a career change, especially with these kind of new uncertain times. So if you're interested in learning more, you got kind of an entrepreneurial drive or you want to be your own boss or you like come alongside people, you can go to thrivent.com slash careers or you can call 630-598. Two one two eight. So, in our culture right now, while all of us are sitting home, there is a little Netflix. Uh, what would we call it? A docu series? Is that what we're going yeah, with? It's exactly what you call it. Okay. See, I'm I'm up on the times. <laughs> we are about to hear how much I'm not up on the times. There's a little docu series on Netflix called The Tiger King. That is all the rage right now, and anyone who listens to this show will not be surprised that I have not seen one minute of it. But I am going to bet large amounts of money that Ian Simpkins has. Have you seen The Tiger King? Um, now I'm worried about admitting that on air. Because it has, docu- it has documentary in it. That's all. That's all. That's oh, that's why? Okay. Well, I'm still nervous about admitting it. But yes, my wife and I have most certainly watched Tiger King. Yes. Can you give us, uh, give us a synopsis? And why I, do you think? I cannot. I cannot do that. There is no such thing as a synopsis when it comes to Tiger King. It is unbelievable in every sense of the word. I can't formally recommend it because it is, ru- <laughs> it is rough around the edges <laughs> to say the least, but it is so bizarre and so strange. And it's even more strange to me that this has become the phenomenon of our times. So the guy, he goes by the name Joe exotic and, um, you may have guessed exotic is not his real last name, uh, but uh, I mean, among so many, so he's got like a TV show. He's a, uh, he's a breeder. That's got like this weird, like tiger lion zoo thing. And he's 
also like a polygamist and he also has this like this decade long battle with this animal rights activist named Carol Baskin and like her whole story is insane. And then you learn about the people that he hires to work in this like really odd invite. Like it's just so it's so bizarre. And the more that I see it just blow up, like he's in jail right now just to kind of give you some context for, you know, he's learning about his fame, you know, from a prison cell. Um, really? I didn't yeah. Know that. Yeah. It's just, I, I've been anytime something culturally like this is happening. Um, so universally, like every day I hear, I hear someone new that's watched it and I'm amazed that they've even given it a shot. Like when stuff like that happens so universally in culture, I'm always wondering like, what is the thing beneath the thing? Why is this like so striking a chord because it's so bonkers. And the whole story at the end of each episode, you'll just, you won't believe what just happened. And then you'll for some reason want more, but I've also heard plenty of other people say I couldn't get past the first 10 minutes and I think it's stupid and I'm not watching it. So uh, I would be curious maybe, maybe for, well, have you asked Alexa yet, Brian? Is that about tiger King? No, I've not. Uh, or about the common good? No, not about Tiger King either. <laughs> so I was going to say, maybe you could just watch it. And we could talk about it next week, but you haven't asked Alexa yet. So maybe watching Tiger King is. Not That's a good point. I, I, I'm guessing we're not going to be watching it, but here's my question for you. Why do you think, is it only a cultural phenomenon right now because we're all locked up in our houses? Because there's other stuff that people could be watching right now. Uh, so why do you think that this is because it really is, if you're on Twitter, on Facebook or whatever, it has become a cultural phenomenon. Uh, wondering, do you have a sense as someone who's watched it? Why has it done that? I think, I think just because it's outrageous. I think people are finding themselves um, in a pretty scary, you know, to use ad nauseum, the word unprecedented. Uh, I, know, I know some people are tired of hearing that word. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think Honestly, if I really drill down psychologically, I think when it feels like the rest of your world is maybe coming unraveled a little bit, there is something comforting about watching someone else's world that's even more insane. Like, mm. by contrast, you're like, well, my life is as nuts as that guy. Like, I do think that there is something psychological about being drawn to that in the midst of experiencing your own fear or your own chaos. And um, I mean there's been plenty of other articles now that have come out from people who are featured in the docuseries are saying, yeah, this is, this has all been sensationalized. This isn't the true story. This was really misrepresented. You're really? always going to, you're always going to have that. Yeah. So there's a lot of other people now coming out against it, especially the people who are featured in the actual series. So I, you know, I don't know that I would call it like highbrow journalistic <laughs> documentary work. Um, but there certainly are, I mean, there are, they're, I mean, one of the people they're interviewing, you know, lost their arm to a tiger, uh, but still works with Joe Exotic. Uh, there are others. I mean, even how some of the people became employed in the first, like it is just really a bizarre story. And I think there is something comforting about watching somebody else's bizarre story when your own life feels like the Twilight Zone. Absolutely. Where does this take place? Well, I'm, what state or what city of our country would this be based in? I don't know. Uh, I don't know, Brian. You have the articles in front of you, don't you? I was just enjoying having you tell us. I think it was Cincinnati. Somebody said, "I think." No, it's not Cincinnati. It's in it's in the south somewhere. Uh, I I don't remember. Cincinnati is south of us. <laughs> that's, that's true. 
I don't think it's in the South. It is. Uh, it has been fascinating. I, you know what? I didn't know anything of this. And then being on Facebook and stuff, I started seeing a lot of like memes with this one particular person. And I'm like, what is this? Like, why do I keep seeing the same face in front of me? Right. And, uh, and that's why it was Joe Exotic. And, you know, now he's in prison and this and that. What's next on the docket? Or are you in the middle of something? Or what's going to be next for, uh, for the Simpkins uh, while we're all at home? Do you have some, uh, something else lined up to watch? Yeah, I'm just going to rewatch Tiger King, I think. No, I don't think you are. I don't That's think you probably, are. Uh, you don't know my life. Um, nah, I mean, we, you know, we watch a lot of kids shows. <laughs> <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of Daniel Tiger. Maybe, I'll, maybe we'll invent Daniel Tiger King. Maybe that's nah, I see a theme going there. <laughs> maybe, maybe that's, yeah. Maybe I'm just really into tigers. I don't understand. I don't know. You, you've mentioned before that you're not really a, a binge watch. You're not really a, next, a Netflix person at all. With this at kind all. of stay at home, hunker down, what do you guys do predominantly for entertainment in the uh, Fromm household? There's been a lot of movies and it's been a lot of separate movies. Like me and my son downstairs watching like Rocky. Oh, right. The, right. The girls are upstairs. Now lately we've been watching stuff together, but uh, you know, him and I, this is not going to surprise you. We've been sticking on lots of sports. Uh, girls have been doing lots of survivor and other stuff, which they sure. love. So uh, we've been staying on our lane pretty well thus far. I'll put it that way. <laughs> Hey, whatever you got to do to survive, man, I support you. We have our lead. So we thought it would be fun uh, to just take a break from all the heaviness and talk about something that is a cultural phenomenon right now. If you've been watching it, we'd love you to go to our Facebook page and tell us your thoughts. Why do you think it is such a cultural phenomenon? Oklahoma. I just saw it too, Oklahoma. (laughs) Isn't Cincinnati in Oklahoma? Oh, boy. We'll, We'll talk offline. Speaking of craziness, we are going to continue on this theme and we are going to end the show the way we end every show with interweb insanity. That's coming up next here on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Hey everyone, it's Ian Simpkins here. And after I had this experience with Thrivent where we were able to host this marriage conference with two other churches in the area, uh, my interest was kind of piqued with regards to what kind of organization this was. And it was really fascinating because they approached me, who was pastoring a church in Bartlett, and they said, we actually provide these free workshops for people that want to be wise with money and live generously. And so they sent me this link, and it was all these different topics, questions that people in my church actually were asking. And so it was remarkable. They hosted this workshop uh, a number of times in the coming months for people in our church to do just that, to to be wise with money and to live generously. And that's kind of how this relationship began because there was this no strings attached kind of mentality. It was just their heart to give back, to partner with pastors and churches to help people uh, live generously, to be wise with money and live generously. And that was kind of the continuation of my relationship with them. And so if you're interested in learning more, I can't encourage you enough to head to Thrivent.com today. Here's some weird stuff we found on the internet. <clears throat> Here's some more weird stuff we found on the web. Hey everybody, welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. That music can only mean one thing. We are going to end the show the way we always do. We've thought it's uh, even in these uh, uneasy times that it's important for us to still uh, have some laughs together. And so uh, the way we do that on this show is with interweb insanity, crazy stories found on the internet by our producer, uh, PJ, or our executive producer, Keith. We shall read them sight unseen. And Ian is going to read the first one. Here you go. 
Okay, so two questions, Brian. I'm ready. You say have a laugh a lot on the show. Do you say that phrase out like with people? Have a laugh. Like, hey, you guys want to have a laugh on Thursday? You guys, what are you guys doing this weekend? Want to have a laugh? Did I just say that? Is that? Oh yeah, you've said it like four times this show. We want to let you have a laugh. I don't think <laughs> I probably ever say that anywhere. Now that I think about it, it just feels like such a like an old timey phrase. I'm like, why don't we? Why don't we have a laugh here? What do we have a laugh? I don't know. Now I'm gonna have, now I'm gonna ask my wife. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna watch my verbal. Uh, see how I do. See if I do it at any point today. <laughs> Let have her. Yeah, have her message me every time. Have a laugh shows up. And you're like, that does not sound like something I would say. But if I said it four <laughs> times today, then maybe I do. That might be exaggerating. It might be just twice, but either way. <laughs> All right. Out of California, Fortune Cookie Company donates over 50,000 cookies to first responders. Oh, it's a good one. Yep. As the state remains under a stay-at-home order during the COVID-19 pandemic, first responders are among those who are on the front lines. The Golden Gate Fortune Cookie Factory has donated more than 50,000 cookies to San Francisco. What's that? Alameda? Alameda. It's Alameda. Is it? Yes. I believe you. And San Mateo, Mateo County first responders this week. I spent way too long on that sentence. (laughs) (laughs) The company posted photos of the cookies on their Instagram and said, COVID-19 is tough, but we are tougher. And like my fortunes, we will persevere. To thank the healthcare workers, the company also sent cookies to UCSF, uh, Oakland, Beinhoff Children's Hospital for the staff and doctors. This gentleman here can write better fortunes than all of you put together. Show them. Okay, let's see. Uh, The price of stamps will climb ever higher. Oh, very profound. Let's see. You will invent a humorous toilet lid. You will find true love on Flag Day. Your store is being robbed, Apu. You're hired. That's a nice first one. Okay. Yeah, I think it's going to be downhill from here. I do, because out of England, family awake to find their cat has dragged a live duck through the cat flap. (laughs) How is this news? (laughs) Uh, video captured the moment a family awoke to discover their cat had dragged the live duck onto the landing and had to shoo the startled animal out the window. Two-year-old Slippers managed to pull the bird through the cat flap of the family home in South London and drag it up the stairs. Oh, gosh. Marcus Elliott Square, age 47, was downstairs getting ready for work at 6.30 a.m. when his startled wife, Claire, phoned him from the landing. At first, it appears the duck is dead, but it suddenly bursts into life and flaps into the bedroom as Claire shrieks in panic. Marcus, an operations director, then calmly opens the window and the lucky duck hops out to freedom. What a revolting development this is! Wow, we're really reaching for what qualifies as news these days, aren't we? Yep, yep. I just like that it gave us that Marcus, an operations director. Then. <laughs> oh, well, that makes more sense. All right, this one's out of Lockport. Man steals car, crashes into garage next to sheriff's office. <laughs> a Buffalo man in a stolen car drove, quote, straight to jail on Tuesday night. Justin Anderson Jr., 18, was driving on Lower Mountain Road in Lockport when two Niagara County Sheriff's officers tried to pull him over for driving erratically. Anderson lost control of the car and crashed into a detached garage right next door to the Niagara County Sheriff's Office. Police say Anderson got out of the car and attempted to run through the parking lot, but it was filled with multiple deputies during shift change. (laughs) Anderson was taken into custody on the front lawn. Let him go, Lou. Someone going that fast has no time for a ticket. Yep. Shocking at the end. It says he was driving while impaired. Didn't see that. Oh, who knew? What are the odds? Next one's out of Ohio. 
police find alligator in residence closet. I'm all about the animals today, apparently. What is happening? Police in Ohio said they were investigating a reported robbery at a home when they made an unexpected discovery. An alligator in a closet. Columbus police said they were called to an east side home at about 3.45 p.m. on Sunday on a report of a gun being pulled during an argument over the return of Xbox gaming console. The department said officers were collecting evidence and conducting interviews when they found the alligator in the closet. The Ohio Department of Agriculture was called in to take custody of the two-year-old animal. Investigators said it is legal to own an alligator in Ohio with the proper permits, but the home's resident did not have the required paperwork. Mama, now the gator got in the house. Now the gator? Give me that sugar. Come here. Get him, Mama. Get that gator. Well, at least these ones aren't as dark as we had a couple days nope. ago. I nope. appreciate that. I'll take just strange over dark. And um, you're, about, you're about to get inspired by the last one. I had this. Oh boy! Thank yep. Florida coming through. Cast Florida. members still raise American flag in closed Walt Disney World theme park. Florida's theme parks may still be closed due to the coronavirus pandemic, but that isn't stopping cast members at Walt Disney World from continuing to raise the American flag in the Magic Kingdom. Walt Disney World President Josh Diamaro posted video of Disney security cast members doing just that on Wednesday. While our world looks very different today, one thing endures. The American flag still flies over Walt Disney World. Uh, I'm inspired how our security cast members continue to raise it each and every morning at Magic Kingdom while they're on duty protecting the magic. Now, do we have a problem? No, sir. No, Mr. Mouse. No, Mr. Mouse. Oh, that's good because I thought we had a problem for a minute there, huh? Now we ended with a good one. That's nice. That's a good yeah. one. Yeah, that's uh, that's better than we've ended a number of times so far. A number of times. <laughs> well, we are glad you joined us. We're going to be together again on Friday. That's tomorrow. We're looking forward to being together again from four until six. Uh, for Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Thanks for joining us. You've been listening to The Common Good. Common Good. 